All right, will you please take your Bibles with me this morning and open them to the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation chapter number 22, the very last book and chapter of God's Word. We're going to be reading verses 12 through 21 this morning. On the second Sunday of Advent, as we continue pondering the mystery of Christ's first coming, while preparing our hearts and lives for His second coming in glory. Revelation 22, verse number 12, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And the one who hears says, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires Take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this book of prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord be with all. Amen. Have you ever gone into a situation that you really didn't feel prepared for? Maybe an exam in school? Or perhaps a project at work or some sort of deadline or something that you haven't spent enough time getting ready for. I think the idea of going into any situation unprepared is really scary for most of us, I think. A few years ago, I was taking uh, an online class in seminary and I had, it was, it was exam time, the end of semester. And I had uh, put the final exam date in my little phone uh, on the wrong day. I thought the exam was on a Saturday at 5 p.m., but this exam was actually scheduled on a Friday at 5 p.m. So I thought, okay, I'll spend the day Saturday preparing, studying, look over my notes, and then I'll take it. Well, I just happened to check in log into the class online on Friday, and uh, I saw that the exam had already begun and had been live for 45 minutes, and I only had 15 minutes to finish it. By the time I realized my mistake, (laughs) there was really no way I could get through those 
75 questions in 15 minutes. So I, I emailed my professor frantically, and he graciously extended the exam, but I had to take it right then without having studied. Now this exam was a church history class. It was over the first 11 centuries of Christian history. Not the kind of test you want to take with not even a glance at your notes. By God's grace, I, I did okay on the exam and my mistake didn't end up costing me too much. But there is something coming far more important than any exam, any work deadline, any project, any event, something that we do not want to be called unprepared for. And that is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The New Testament is full of exhortations to be prepared for His return. But you see, our fallen sinful inclination, our tendency, is to be so consumed with the cares of this present life, this temporal now, that we forget to prepare for the eternal future. And we neglect to live a life of preparation for the most important deadline in the history of creation. Jesus says in Luke chapter 21, verse 34, it says, Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation. That word means, really, it just means out of control uh, drunkenness. Lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that day, the same day we read about in Second Peter, come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth, but stay awake at all times, Jesus said, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So one of the reasons the season of Advent is so beneficial to believers is that it holds before us this important biblical theme, this reality of the importance of preparation. And in our text today, the Bible itself ends with a reminder to be prepared for the return of Christ. Jesus has come. He will come. And so we need to be ready. I want us to look together at this passage using the three main headings. And I want us to see, first of all, that the return of Jesus is the promise of judgment. The promise of judgment. Look at verse 12. Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Revelation is a book about the consummation of redemptive history in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in all of His glory. It is a book about how all the wrong in the world will be set right when the Lord comes to ultimately and finally vanquish sin, Satan, sinners, and death and make all things new. It pictures 
the return of Christ as the answer for the groaning of our fallen world. Do you feel that groaning this morning? Do you feel a weight of sadness over the condition of this world? The murder of the innocent through abortion, the unceasing hatred and violence that we see, the abuse and the oppression of the, of the weak, the injustice we witness every day all throughout the world, not just here in this nation. When you read the accounts of young people, of teenagers who have taken their own lives because of continual bullying by their peers, does it make you long for Christ to come and set all of that right? Does your heart mourn when you see lives and families ruined by addiction or sexual immorality and you long for the day when sin itself is finally put down under the foot of a reigning King Jesus? Are you grieved by the pagan godlessness of our culture and yearn for Christ to come and conquer His enemies? Oh friends, we need to feel this deeply today. Because when Christ does come, He is coming to judge His recompense is with Him, verse 12 says. That word recompense essentially means reward. In other words, every man, every woman, every teenager, every boy, every girl who has ever lived will give an account for our lives. So how we live matters. 2 Timothy 4.1 says that Jesus will judge the living and the dead by His appearing and His kingdom. His coming is judgment. And it will be just because He is a divine judge. Look at verse 13. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Friends, all mouths will be shut as the divine king sits on his eternal throne and renders his just verdict over all creation. There will be no unfairness. There will be no inconsistency. There will be no impartiality. Christ will judge by the two-edged sword of his mouth, which is the word of God. Revelation 1.16, From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, what is that two-edged sword? Hebrews 4.12 For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, get this, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. Christ the King will not only judge our works, He will judge our motives. The things that no one else sees, the things that no one else knows about, He knows. We are naked before Him. And this judgment, when He 
when He returns, when He, when he comes, when He appears in glory, this judgment will be a discriminating judgment. Look at verses 14 and 15. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Friends, hear me this morning. Not everyone will be saved. Not everyone will be welcome in the new creation. These verses that we just read stand as the Bible's last blockade to the doctrine of universalism. The erroneous belief, the false belief, that in the end, everyone will be saved. No. Everyone will not be saved. Only those who wash their robes in the blood of Christ will be welcome in that creation. The King James Version says, do His commandments. The phrases sound similar in the original language of the the New Testament. Hence the difference in translation. But they both indicate the continual obedience of faith. To do His commandments is to wash your robes. Notice the, the emphasis there. To us, to wash our robes. This is a picture of perseverance and salvation. That is one of the central messages of the book of Revelation, indeed of the New Testament. He that endures to the end will be saved. We cannot walk away from Christ and be saved if we appear before the gates of that eternal city dressed in anything other than blood-washed robes, we will be left outside. Notice what the Revelation says is outside. The dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. These are descriptions, brothers and sisters, of the pagan life of unbelief. The mention of dogs here, I feel like I, feel like I need to explain it. Because I don't want anyone to go home brokenhearted. I don't want you to think that the Bible says that dogs will be excluded from the new creation. I don't know if they're going to be there or not, but this is not what this text is talking about. Jewish culture considered dogs to be despicable, unclean scavengers. And the term was at one point used to describe homosexual prostitutes. And so coupled with the phrase sexually immoral, just a few words later, this verse, friends, is a strong warning that those who live outside of the sexual boundaries that God has established in marriage between one man and one woman have no reason to believe that they will be a part of Christ's eternal kingdom. Indeed, those who live that way do not want to be a part of that kingdom anyway. Now that's a tough pill to swallow in our sex-drenched culture. But there is no ambiguity on this at all, anywhere in Scripture. The sexually immoral will not have a place in that kingdom. 
neither will the sorcerers. By the way, that word sorcerer there in the, in the Greek is, the Greek word is pharmakos, where we get our word for pharmacy, drugs. Drugs have often and often historically been used in witchcraft and as a, as a means to induce an altered state of consciousness or some sort of heightened sense. The sorcerers, the murderers, the idolaters, and those who live according to falsehood. That's it's likely a reference to the false belief system of paganism, which is everything that stands against truth. These will not be saved in the judgment at Christ's coming. They will be condemned, for their robes have not been washed. What do your robes look like this morning, church? Are they covered in sin, in compromise? Are they covered in self-righteousness? Or are they washed in the atoning, cleansing blood of the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world? His promise, His coming is a promise of judgment. But there is hope. And so secondly, we see in this passage that the return of Jesus is not only a promise of judgment, the return of Jesus is an invitation. It's an invitation. Look at verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. Who's this message for? For the church. I am the root, the descendant of David, the bride and morning star, the spirit and the bride say come and let the one who hears say come and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price come. Throughout all of scripture, the promise of judgment is attached to an invitation to salvation. Noah preached righteousness until the flood. God repeatedly sent prophets to warn of impending doom unless the people repent. And here Jesus Himself stands as the promised Davidic Savior King and extends an invitation to come. The Spirit extends the invitation and His work of convicting grace that draws those dead in sin to Christ. The church, as the bride of Christ, extends the invitation as the witness of the people of God to the transforming power of the gospel in the world. Then those who hear also extend the invitation in the work of personal witness, personal evangelism, as we who have tasted the true salvation in Christ now turn and share that with others. Have you invited anyone to come? I'm not talking about come to church. Have you invited a lost soul to come drink of Christ? It is an invitation to all who are thirsty and who desire to drink the water of life freely without payment, without price. And friends, that is what Advent is. 
It's an invitation to come. It is, as, as one modern hymn writer wrote, an invitation to come behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the King. He the theme of heaven's praises robed in frail humanity in our longing, in our darkness. Now the light of life has come. Look to Christ who condescended, took on flesh to ransom us. He says, come behold the wondrous mystery. Christ the Lord upon the tree. Instead of ruined sinners hangs the Lamb in victory. See the price of our redemption. See the Father's plan unfold, bringing many sons to glory. Grace unmeasured, love untold. Are you thirsty this morning? Come and drink. Have the trials of life consumed you and left you dry? Come and drink. Young people, are the world's promises and pleasures leaving you empty? They will. Come and drink of Christ. This is your invitation to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But, friends, this invitation comes with a warning. Look at verse 18. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. Friends, that's you and me. Because we're hearing it. This warning is to us. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. This warning makes clear the seriousness of the prophetic word of Revelation. This was Christ's final word to His church. And it was to be transmitted and communicated accurately, free from human tampering. The book of Revelation as well as the rest of God's Word, has some truths that offend us. They offend our modern sensibilities. We don't like to think of the plagues. We don't like to think of the wrath of God being poured out on this, on this earth, our home. We don't like to think of the judgment, the death, the hell. And friends, the modern church has gone through great lengths to make the message of Scripture more palatable, more entertaining, more appealing to sinful man. We've diminished, we've disregarded, we've outright denied those things in Scripture that our culture finds so offensive, and in doing so, we have brought Christ's judgment upon ourselves. And ultimately, those who change God's Word so that it better suits Modern man or better suits our own personal belief system. Those who do that will be excluded from his kingdom. This is no light matter. Is there something in the Bible that we find offensive? Whether that be the doctrine of creation, the doctrine of sin, 
Think about it. Just those two right there. Creation and sin. First three chapters of Genesis. The truths contained therein offend unbelieving man and half the church. The doctrine of sin, the doctrine of the penal substitution of Christ, that He had to suffer under the wrath of His Father in our place. He was punished for us. I've heard evangelical scholars refer to this penal substitution as divine child abuse. Or is it the doctrine of biblical sexuality? Biblical manhood and womanhood? Or the doctrine of election? Or divine wrath? Or eternal punishment? Whatever it is, church, we better submit to it in humility. Because if we start tweaking and tossing out, we, we, we pull a Thomas Jefferson and we start trimming out all the things in Scripture that we don't like, there will be no place for us in the new creation. This is serious. This invitation comes with a warning. Lastly, in our text, we see that the return of Jesus is the longing of His people. It's our prayer. It's our heart's desire. It's our prayer. Verse 20, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. People are often remembered for their last words, aren't they? You know any, any, anyone's last words? You ever thought about what yours might be? Consider these. Todd Beamer, United Flight 93 on September the 11th, said, let's roll just before an attempt to retake the hijacked aircraft that ultimately crash-landed in Pennsylvania. Steve Jobs, the co-founder of Apple Computer, his last words were, Oh, wow. Frank Sinatra, he said, I'm losing it. Johnny Cash, it's time. The German pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, This is the end, but for me the beginning of life. Just before being hanged, in a German prison camp. Hymn writer Charles Wesley said, I shall be satisfied with thy likeness. Satisfied. The French reformer John Calvin said, You, Lord, bruise me, but I am abundantly satisfied because it is from your hand. The 16th century English scholar and Bible translator William Tyndale to whom we owe in God's providence the English Bible, said this, Lord, open the king of England's eyes before being strangled to death and burned at the stake. And the last words of the German reformer Martin Luther were, we are beggars, it's true. Last words are important. And the last words that the resurrected Christ gave to His church were surely, I am coming soon. 
Now let that sink in for a moment. John wrote these words in Revelation under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit around 95 A.D. So that's almost 2,000 years that have passed since Jesus uttered these words, Surely I am coming soon. You know what that means? That means, friends, that we have never been closer to His return than we are at this very moment. Never. The fact that He has not returned, we read it in 2 Peter. The scoffers will say, where is the promise of His coming? No, this doesn't arm the skeptic with proof that this was all just a myth. It is a reminder that the Lord is gracious and merciful and that we should, as we read in that text this morning from 2 Peter 3, count the patience of the Lord as salvation. This is a deadline that He knows God the Father, we don't know it. But we must be prepared for it and we can count the the tarrying of the Lord as patience, as mercy. But this text really challenges us, doesn't it? Because can we truly say with John, Amen, come Lord Jesus? Can we say that and mean it? Do we feel the longing this deep longing for Christ this morning, does He so consume our hearts that nothing here in this world would give us a split-second pause about leaving it behind? Friends, there is nothing here that our hearts should hold on to. We must long to be with Christ. And if we don't, brothers and sisters, we need to pray We need to pray all night if we have to that God would kindle our hearts with a zeal for the return of His Son. But for now, we're waiting. We're always waiting. We're waiting until we're not. But while we wait, there is grace. Look at verse 21. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is the beginning, the middle, the end of salvation. Ephesians 2 says, By grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It is the grace of the Lord Jesus that will sustain us while we wait. Are you an unbeliever? in this room this morning. I I don't know. I don't know you. I don't even know my own heart. Much less anyone else's. Are you an unbeliever this morning? The grace of the Lord Jesus can wash your robes of sin and self-righteousness and your own goodness and gives you new ones of His righteousness if you would only look away from sin and self and flee to the mercy of, of Christ. Are you tired? Are you worn out this morning by the struggles of this life? The grace of the Lord Jesus will be with you to strengthen you until the end. He will carry you across the finish line. Are you anxious about the cares of life? 
worried, worried about your health, worried about your children, your grandchildren, your marriage, your job, worried about the uncertainty of the future, there is grace for you. The grace of the Lord Jesus will sustain you through whatever comes. He's coming soon, church. But now we wait. And so Advent teaches us to wait. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Let's pray.